welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out, a show in which I, author and musician Gary Abbott, attempt to finally decide my favourite Beatles recordings by scoring each and every one for lyrical content, musicality and production, assisted by my brother and resident Beatles expert Paul Abbott. Each episode we explore and score five songs pulled at random from the Beatles' full recording catalogue. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode 28, and welcome to Love You With Paul My Heart, Abbott. Oh, that's nice. I am a, a very kind, giving, warm, generous kind of person, so I feel that sums me up perfectly. Absolutely. Don't forget, you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter and on Instagram, or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. Someone's going to use it one day. And uh, please do drop us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Um, and like and share our posts and also check out all the links in the post description because there's links to things like some of my music projects to Paul's other podcasts so yeah have a little look on the screen and press on some of the things and you know all that stuff Paul is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners before we get started no well I keep going on about how the head ballet podcast will be will be back soon mm. uh, well it'll be back soon because yeah. I've actually recorded one as Ooh. of the time that we're recording this so it will be out probably within a week of this I would say. Uh, so that's my novelty song podcast. It's uh, it's not regular weekly type of thing like this is, but it will be back uh, as and when I record them. So mm. go and listen to the old ones, then get ready to listen to the new ones, please. And thank you. Are you able to give us a sneaky hint of the subject, the song or anything like that? Uh, how could I do that without ruining it? Um, you can just say It no. does contain the noise of a ruler twanging. Okay. That. I'm none that the wiser. <laughs> Anyone. But maybe maybe some people will be able to figure it out from that. I don't know. Um, well, we're looking forward to that. Great stuff, Paul. So before we get on with On This Beatles Day, we have a listener question from at Nicolart, who is Nicola Winstanley, a friend of ours and a friend of the podcast. And she says, as one data analyst to the other... Um, and 130 plus songs in, are you wondering if the process of analysis itself may be changing the way you interpret the songs, thus rendering your previous choices negatively skewed? How will you mitigate against this post-analysis? Um, so that's quite a comprehensive question. So I'm just going to answer with it, yes. No, um, yes, uh, Nick, quite simply, yes. It is, uh, I'm not just wondering if, the analysis may be changing the way I'm interpreting the songs. I'm pretty sure it has and is happening more and more with each episode that passes. Uh, I put some markers down very early on it, towards the mid-high and mid-low range that have created a kind of a narrow band of groupings that I wish I had slightly more room for. Um, hence, you'll sometimes hear me award a 0.5 score to try and open up some room for statistical manoeuvre. Exactly, yeah. I've considered redistributing scores and all sorts, but I don't think the issue is severe enough to warrant it, and I don't think anyone else cares. <laughs> but yeah, I originally had a fourth category that would have done this job for me, kind of, because it was a general, what do I feel about the uh, score subjectively category, which I could have awarded whatever I wanted, uh, and that would have helped me to kind of move things around a bit without being kind of a slave to the objectivity I've tried to go for. Um, but uh, yeah... I'm glad I didn't go that way because I think I would have ended up just doing some scores for the categories and then just scoring at what I thought regardless. Numbers, numbers yeah. all the way through. Numbers, would have just numbers, more numbers. numbers. Yeah, and um, there are a couple that I, I think have suffered from this, like something like She's So Heavy, which 
I want news. She said heavy, which is uh, I, I think should be higher in my own chart, but it isn't because it has not got very many lyrics. <laughs> the system doesn't work. <laughs> and you haven't even named your computer for calculations on my podcast, Hark the Eighty Seventh Precinct podcast. Yeah where we score the 87th Precinct books by Ed McBain. We've got a computer, and he's called Kenneth, which mm-hmm. stands for calculates every number nearly every time, honestly. So if you haven't even named your computer system for scoring, I mean, I have. what it's have called, you done? It's called, it's called Big, the Beatles indexing GUI for Big Swords. I don't swords. like it. No, I've just m- like literally just thought of that now. And no, I haven't named I it anything. you need to ponder on that. Yeah, but anyway, the good news is I can still add that fourth category if I wish as a post-analysis exercise and fine-tune the chart to my liking with um, the evidence of the objective scores as my guide. So I may do that. Um, I actually may do that when I come to when we're finished. I may look at it and go, well, that one's higher than that one. I'll just add a category that enables me to do that. Start again. Yeah. In the meantime, however, I quite like the challenge of being objective, even when it feels unnatural to do so, because none of it matters. And it teases out discussion rather than just pure gushing, which I think if it was just that, it wouldn't get to what I was hoping to do with this podcast. So I hope that answer is comprehensive enough for your very insightful question. Paul. Yes. Just lighten the tone with On This Beatles Day. Well, you don't know which day it is. It might be a terrible day, Mm. but... It is actually the 5th of April that this is coming out. So we've chosen, or I have chosen, the 5th of April, 1965. Mm. And that is a day when they start filming the Indian restaurant scenes, the interiors mm. for the film Help. Uh, yeah. Which is a, a great sequence. You know, lots of silly jokes in there, like the season ticket being in the soup. I like a lot of yes. seasoning in the soup. Things <laughs> like that. And... Um, the reason I've picked it is because it's it's generally held that that when they were filming that because there's the Indian musicians in the background of the scene playing the music yeah that that is where George gets his first exposure to Indian music right now well, obviously it's not as simple as that because it's likely he would have heard Indian music before there it, mm. it may have been on the radio this it wasn't totally alien mm. you know you wouldn't be stumbling across it all the time but you know growing up you you quite easily may have heard it yeah and i think uh, in the mark lewison book it suggests that you know certain radio broadcasts would have happened while he was you know a certain age or whatever but in any case what it is really is i think it's his first chance to actually touch a sitar Mm. so he's seeing this music being played in the background of the scene and he's you know going over and having a look at this sitar and seeing what's this that's it's interesting that's what the actual instrument is that makes that sound Mm. And that starts that whole thing of his, you know, bringing together, as most of these circumstances are, it's lots of little bits suddenly sort of coalescing. So he's starting to hear Ravi Shankar's name around the place hmm. in a few different places. And he now knows what the instruments look and feel like a little bit. And then he's starting to meet the people from the Asian music circle and ultimately Ravi Shankar himself. So it's one of these days where it's 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 got a certain symbolism beyond the fact that it's them doing some filming in Twickenham. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting day for that anyway it's it's not like 5th of april 1965 george c sitar that's his future set but george did see a sitar and it did have a big impact on his future so yeah. there and, we go and it's captured on film of kind of um, yeah yeah it's 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 interesting obviously now we look back on that on help with grown up eyes and perhaps more modern eyes and it's a bit strange to think that his some of his nascent love of indian music comes out of white people playing indians in a lot of the cases mm. in 
a lot that they're technically Indians. They're not named as such in the, but this is an Indian restaurant scene. So, you know, it's, it's a funny one really. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. Well, that's a good one. And um, further reminds me, I'm long overdue a rewatch of help, but maybe we can leave that to a bonus episode one day. Um, Right. Let's get on with the random pick. And first up we have, I will. If I ever saw you, I didn't catch your name, but it never really mattered. I will always feel the same. Love you forever forever. I will, Paul. You will, Paul, what? I'm... I will wait for you to tell me about I will, Paul. Okay, well, I'll do that then. Right, this is a track from the White Album, which comes out in uh, 22nd of November 1968. This is recorded on September the 16th and 17th of that year. And we've got um, mainly McCartney stuff going on here. It's mm. it's a Paul song, but it's George is the only one who's absent on this. Ringo is doing, sort of playing some sort of drum kit. You've got John on additional percussion. Right. And then you've got Paul doing the acoustic, doing some overdub 12 string, doing his lead vocals, doing some backing vocal harmonies with that. Mm. And then, of course, doing the fantastic feature that this song is often is mentioned in with this song, which is the bass. Yes. Is the is mouth. It's the it mouth sounds bass. he's making with his mouth mm. rather than playing a bass guitar or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's such a beautiful, beautiful little thing. And it's, yeah. it's one of my absolute favourite bits of the White Album. It's lovely. It's a little Charmer Paul song, isn't it? Um, mm. Up in his soft, higher register voice, lovely guitar work, mellow chords, a bit of soft percussive backing and that vocal bass, like you say, which um, I had a question to ask you. Who is that? You have answered it. Um, this is Paul, for me, in his musical film love song mode, very much in the vein of Till There Was You and continued with World Without Love and Now and you know and I Will. They're all kind of very, his soft kind of, you could imagine them, the uh, hero of a, a stage musical having a, a moment to sing this to a dawn or something. Um, yeah, just sweet just melt. check, Gary. World yeah. Without Love is not recorded by the Beatles, though. Yeah, but, Peter and, Peter but he wrote, they, they wrote it, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, in, in his, his, his mode. Um, but yeah, just sweet melodies with laid back guitar chords and nice intonations and rhythms backing it. Uh, I especially like the lead guitar part, which like you've also told me now is um, Paul on his 12 string. Yeah, just little sort of broken chords and then little yeah. little movement patterns up and down the neck. Just simple and chimey and pleasant. Yeah, you know, and the way it breaks through occasionally to, to bridge the sections and then as just a, a little backing to the chorus with a little kind of harmony progression, using it as an arranged kind of instrument, really, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. The kind of things you can imagine him picking out for George Martin and saying, you know, is this, could you make this something? But he's just done it as a guitar part. Other than that, there's not much else to say about the music. There's not, there's not much else to it. I think that's plenty. Uh, another neat Paul acoustic based song. I'm going to give it 64 for music. Yeah. I like the, I like the fact that it's got a sort of South Africa South African South African <laughs> South African South American even yeah. rhythm to it. So I think yeah, it's got a bit of a, yeah Latina beats type of yeah. One thing you've got to keep in mind with them is you know they came up through the the clubs mm. and they 
although, yeah, they could play rock and roll for hours and hours and hours at a time, they also, you know, they'd get requests to do other sorts of things. Or they'd occasionally they'd back up a stripper, you know, Ooh. they'd learn different styles. So they knew how to do these sort of samba-ish sort of yeah. mambo sort of ish things and they could they could drag it out and do all that lost paranoia stuff at the drop mm. of a hat um so yeah i think you could see some of that in play here yeah yeah definitely yeah as hasn't it as, yeah not with south the, african though <laughs> is it not south african no is, is it american kind of, south american it's kind of a conga or, is it congas that are on it or, um, well yeah actually yeah if you're talking about that. the the great thing is, if you listen to Ringo on this, he's just doing some amazing subtle drum mm. kit usage because he's sort of playing like the sort of rims of the drums, uh, cymbals very softly, using the bass drum for nice, clever emphasis. And then what you've got is you've got John playing what they sometimes call skulls, right, or otherwise known as temple blocks, which is a range of different sized wooden blocks. Oh yes, you have I mounted on a yeah, and they've yeah got a you have them mounted on a rack type thing, and then you can sort of. Do, 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 I can do, see why they call do, them do, skulls. Do, they look like do, do, varnished mahogany dog skulls, maybe. Yes, so it's, I think some people say that it's got this song's got congas or bongos on it, and it hasn't. It's just oh, a combo okay. of Ringo's really nice controlled drum kit stuff, and then Lennon doing the the temple block skulls thing. Oh, lovely! Well, we, we've we've started production off. That with that then um we, we've already talked about the 12 string guitar uh and then obviously the the, the big feature um is that vocal bass line which i i didn't actually i think i knew it was but it, i it didn't i didn't come in to think oh i will listen to the one where he does the vocal bass i had to listen to it to go oh, yeah it's the one where he's singing it isn't it yeah. and it, it is it is it, it's not doubled or anything is it it's just him doing it is no i don't think it's doubled but it does have a certain sort of quality to it but yeah it's it does feel like I was listening to it thinking is it is it perhaps doubling a bass guitar very subtly yeah. in there to give it but I don't think it is I think it's just how it's recorded I think and, he's just and, managed to nail that kind of the way he's modulated his the shape yeah. of his mouth to get then the the way he's he's singing it really to get that that real popping not popping a rounded sound out of it um, it's a cool effect it adds interest um, you could have done something similar with a double bass. Yeah, I think that. that's what he's going for. Yeah. You know, that sort of feel, he's mimicking that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's 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 cool. Um, yeah, the percussive parts, like you've talked about, are very nicely balanced, as are the two guitars. It's quite a gem, really, of production, this one, isn't it? Especially in White Album terms. Yeah, it's just... Uh, well, <laughs> they did 67 takes of the backing track. Goodness. Well, of which... Uh, well, only 19 were complete takes. Okay. But it's quite an interesting session, especially you get the, the White Album box set and some of this stuff's on the anthology as yeah. well but it's the session that also turns up um can you take me back can you take me oh, back yeah. where i've been from and uh so there's all that sort of stuff's going on while they're sort of drifting off being silly jamming stuff trying out different bits and pieces but yeah essentially there's num- 67 numbered takes of this oh, which yeah. is means they were working hard to get it right and they sure did and for their effort they'll be happy to know i'm going to give them 80 for production um, I'm sure that's what they're putting all that effort into. They will be pleased. Yes. So, lyrics then. So, it's a nice little love song. And I don't think it tries to be more than that. Um, no. Go on, sorry. No, I was going to say, no, it doesn't try and be more no. than that. I agree entirely. I can't work out if the lyrics are saying this is a love song to love itself and that he hasn't found it yet. Because if that's not what it's about, the fact that he doesn't know your, you know, the, the person's name... And when at last he finds them, it wouldn't make sense. 
it's a, so it's a bit tricky and mixed up in that regards. Like it's yeah. like who knows how long I've loved you. I know I love you still. Well, I wait a lonely lifetime if you want me to. I will. Um. Yeah, it's just when yeah, it, when at last lonely. I saw you, I did not know your name. I don't. And I was saying, is it you don't know? You don't know the name. Didn't catch it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's an odd one when you start to think about it. It is almost like a. Um, are you looking for an ideal, or is it the, uh, a song to a, a lost opportunity? Yeah, you know. I mean, in terms of what he says about it, he, McCartney says he reckons it was one because it's an India song. It's one written out in Rishikesh. Okay. Um, and so, <laughs> Paul McCartney's recollection is that he was writing something, and he had sort of this tune, a bit of a tune, and he had some words about the moon in it. And he was kicking it around with Donovan, who was out there. Yeah. But um, in, in this instance, Donovan has said since, I don't remember that. Right. <laughs> Richard, normally with Donovan, it's like, oh, I taught them that. How yeah, do that yeah. finger picking stuff? But yeah, Donovan sort of says, I don't remember that. Um, and, it, it, you know, this is before he meets Linda. It's sort of, they've put the song together fully with the lyrics after he's him and Jane have split up and after he's spent time with mm. Francie Schwartz, one of his other girlfriends as well. So it's probably not about anyone. Anything particularly. And I, I think know, it so. comes across a little bit, unfortunately, um, because, I mean, it's fine. It's it's fine. But from a lyrics point of view, I'm, I'm going to give it 41 because it's it's just a little love song, but it also is a bit not quite clear that if it's about love itself or something, it doesn't quite make sense. But it's fine. It's that McCartney way he has of being able to write lyrics that will do for a song. And they pass by your ears fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they're not his best ones. So, yes, that gives it 61.7 overall. Next, Dr. Robert. Dr. Dr. Robert Paul. Dr. Robert Paul? Is that his surname? It <laughs> might well be. Well, it's not. I'll tell you about that when we get to it. Mm. Anyway, ah, track from Revolver, which comes out in August of 1966, recorded on the 14th and 19th of April of 1966. Mm. We've got uh, John on the uh, guitar harmonium. That makes it sound like I've just invented a guitar yeah, harmonium. Right. Guitar, comma, harmonium. Yeah. We've got uh, those nice sort of stacked vocals, of which George might be singing in there, but I, I, I don't know. He might not be. Uh, yeah, I think he would be. There's quite a lot going on. Yeah, but they've doubled up the Lennon and McCartney vocals, so they could Maybe. easily have split it to that sort of choir bit. Anyway, I'm a big fan of this one. I'm a big fan of the sort of rhythmical pattern in the chords and things, the simple guitar, but I quite like the groove of it. Yeah. it's um, And it's an odd subject on a album where they're becoming sort of increasingly mature in their themes even if it is slightly comic in the way they do it yeah but yeah uh, um so we have a genre disagreement probably uh, it's a bit of early prog would you say you've got no something <laughs> well it's something that's an otherwise otherwise kind of boppy and you know not straightforward but kind of jangly pop rock number but then it goes into the Choral chorus. I mean, that sounds more like something I'd expect to hear on um, Tommy. 
you know, a kind of a, a concepty progressive type of, you know, it's got a bit, it's a bit more than just. I, I don't know what the thinking is behind that bit, but to me, it's just like they've sort of gone, well, should you stick a bit of a hymn in here all of a sudden? Yeah, I, that, that's the thing. I guess what I mean, though, is that it's going, oh, I don't want to just go to a chorus and do some different chords and change it slightly. Let's do it. That's what I mean by progressive. I, well, there's also a sort of musical joke in that the harmonium is a, an instrument that you would often get in the place of places that didn't have big pipe organs would have yeah. harmoniums. So it's got that sort of I don't know Church of England or Methodist feel, whatever you want to mm. want to call it. Um, uh, yeah, it is weird. I don't really know why they juxt, given the, the subject of the song, why suddenly it's like churchy in the middle in those bits. But I think it's great but without it. I think it I would like be it. okay, but I think with it, it makes it really good. Um, in that, you know, so we have what other, other than those bits, quite typical jangly pop rock number in the verses. It's got a nice groove, like you say, and it. it, it Bops along, but it isn't especially different until we get those chorus breaks and the harmony vocals. Um, yeah, people like The Who, Queen, Floyd, people still to come out of this era. It's just experimentation, I mean, really, um, with how far you can push rock and pop in new directions, even if that is just randomly sticking a choral bit in it. Uh, Paul's doing his default bass line for the most part with a nice bit of distorted riffy guitar over it. I love uh, the guitar sound on this. This is one of my hmm. favourite Beatles guitar sounds. Yeah, it's, it is good. Um, yeah, the harmonies play a big part here. I like the second repeat of the verse chords into that chorus um, when when the, the harmony joins for the second because we've got Lennon going low and McCartney going high, haven't we? Um, yeah, it's nuanced and layered, actually, for a two-minute song. I especially like the bass and guitar ringing out on that held note when the chorus is playing and they're just they're hitting that root note, aren't they? Yes. And the organ's joining in. It's all quite fun and different. There's quite a lot to say about it. And I didn't really think about it, it, it that much until listening to it. I thought, oh, yeah. I'm going to give it 62 for music. Righto. So production-wise, obviously, we've covered quite a bit of this in the music. Um, but the, uh, tish, the additional guitar in the top end, the use of the organ, they're all nice touches, aren't they? Um, yeah, what would you pick out from a production point here well Paul. nothing in particular i think it's a generally just a well-captured sort of little rock combo then mm. they stick the harmonium on and they you know, layer up the vocals uh, i mean the one thing that stands out to me is it's got that really weird fade at the end oh, okay so it fades but it doesn't get it doesn't, fades and then but it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't faded out to nothing before the song seems to stop yeah they, they yeah it's like they've got the fade wrong isn't it they've yeah they've uh, yeah i think they were trying to compensate for for it a noise or something someone saying something in the outro right. they were trying to snip off so they were forced into this weird but it's, it is an odd one they could have either faded it faster or yeah ended it somehow yeah you can hear it just end yeah it's um it's strange um i think the the way that the vocals are recorded for the um the choral bits are, are, are really nice and mixed like blended really nicely which is interesting if you don't think it's george singing in there because one of the things that struck me was how nice their voices... They always blend together nicely. Yeah, they, and they did a lot of practice. They, they would they would rehearse harmonies. Yeah. Certainly in these earlier periods, between sort of 64, 66, they would sit around, they'd work harmonies out with George Martin, Big George, mm. and they would rehearse them, and it'd normally be the three of them. So it, seemed, it would seem weird if it isn't George in that mix, but then if they are doing... It may have been a case of they they did a sort of just John and Paul together, and then they thought, well, we're while we're doubling it, we'll just do us again yeah. Yeah. on different notes. But yeah, it's good. Anyway, well, I'm going to give it um, 63 for production because it's got some nice touches. 
lyrics. So this is kind of its big feature as well. I know. So what, what I already know about this one or knew about this one coming into this was uh, it's about something to do with getting drugs from an either an actual doctor or someone nicknamed the doctor or something like that. So uh, what's your hot take, Paul? Well, my take is entirely um, cold. It's not a hot take because it's it's what it is. Okay, what's your cold? <laughs> my cold, take? factual, hard take is that it is basically a, the Doctor Robert of the title isn't well. Oh, see, I'm starting to tie myself in knots, and I haven't even begun. Mm. It's clearly not literally about the guy. I'm going to tell you who who this guy is. It's not literally about him because it's it's not a factual song. Okay. You know, this guy did not work for the National Health. He's an American, for a mm. start. So, but he's the inspiration. Yeah. So, it's simple as that. So, there's a doctor in New York called Dr. Robert Freeman, who mm. was known for... He'd be handing out doses of vitamin B12 injections, Gary? Oh, God. I've, I, I don't, I've never heard of him. I've uh, never heard of them once every eight to 12 weeks. Well... If you went to Dr. Robert Freeman, the bonus would be that you'd stick a load of amphetamines in there, so you'd come out feeling absolutely on top of the world after you get your, yeah, your B12 That doesn't dose. happen at Trinity Medical Centre in, in Stoke. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's a New York doctor. He's sort of connected to the New York art scene. A lot of musicians and uh, actors and uh, knew of him. Uh, but he was one of several doctors where people would sort of go like, and get pills from one doctor then they'd go over to another doctor and get some more pills from them and yeah. they'd go over to this next doctor but so when the Beatles get over to America someone's telling Lennon about this and I think some people say Lennon would have gone to him and, and you know loaded up with pills and things but mm. I don't know that that's actually the case I think they just thought it was a funny idea that yeah you know a prescribing doctor was prescribing all this stuff which is technically illegal to use as you know uppers or whatever yeah um, so yeah, I mean, he, this is a guy who lost his license to, to practice in for six months in 1968 and was expelled from the medical association in, in 1975. Yeah. Um, so I think they just thought it was a, a funny thing. And I think there's also a little bit of John writing himself into this because he said, oh, I, we always used to just carry our stuff ourselves. And I used to have loads of pills in my pocket. So I was kind of like the doctor a little bit. Mm. You know, and so it's a load of that that stuff. So you want songs about drugs? This is a song about drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it is. So, um. but then it's weird because they sing they sing Bob Robert in it as well, which is it's like well, who's Bob Robert? And that just sounds like Lennon doing weird wordplay. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is funny. I, uh, Doctor Robert himself, Robert Freeman, is. It's someone, if you start reading into it, you think, oh, no, I don't like this guy. Well, it could start part of a tradition of um, prescribing drugs to famous people, which has continued probably yeah. much to this day, I think. In oh, yeah, like it's definitely, New it's, York it's, and it's all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he was yeah. he got accused of unprofessional conduct. He, uh, he was prescribing narcotics to known addicts, you know, that mm. sort of thing. It's... it's, it's it's not a great guy, but it turns in they turn that notion yeah. into a, a comedy song essentially. It's only one stage removed from them reading it in the paper and making a song about it, isn't it? But um, the fact that you know they they also would have drugs or take them is just by the by. The words add interest and have a real world basis, and like you say, uh, you said earlier, they're a further attempt at the time to break out of the usual mould of kind of relationship stuff and become a bit more. Um, external looking with their lyrics to look to the world and what's around them not just you know the usual tropes and it's a great yeah. example of that 
So I like them, but they're obviously quite specific, but I like them anyway. So I'm going to give him 56 for lyrics, which is, you know, a cut above your kind of like standardly love song ones. 60.3 overall, therefore, for the song. Next, we have The Night Before. We said our goodbye the night before. Love was in your The night before Paul. Twas the night before Paul, and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a beetle. Um, so I just started saying that and couldn't stop. Anyway, this is a song from the Help album, obviously features in the film as well. Mm. Help album comes out on the 6th of August, 1965. This is recorded in a session on the 17th of February, 1965. And it's a great McCartney rocker with... Um, the nice feature of John, rather than playing rhythm guitar, playing the, the electric pianette to, to do yes, the, the rhythm yeah. part. So uh, it's one I've always loved. I've always loved The Night Before. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I think it's very strange because I love Help so much and watched it over and over and over again that actually I still find it weird that when the song ends on the record, it doesn't have a big explosion noise like it does in the film. <laughs> oh, so, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's where she's... Burrowing underground. Yes, they're on Salisbury Plain. Yeah. So while they're burrowing underground, and the other troops are firing at them from. But it's confusing because they're playing another song on the radio, isn't she? So they're playing when it cuts yes. to that. There's, there's... Underground. Um, you've got Eleanor Bronze characters playing. Um, she's a woman. On, yes. Yeah. On a little tranny radio. Yeah. Um, which was the first time I heard she's a woman, and for a long time, the only place I'd ever heard she's a woman. Mm. <laughs> um. No, it's funny, actually, because he's got the same kind of voice. Um, this is Paul singing it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it he's is, got yeah, the same yeah. kind of voice on in this as he has on She's yeah, Woman. He's yeah, using the same... Similar sort of range and style. style. Yeah. It's got a good swing to it. This do um, do a lot to that, you know, pianet use, which really make those chords bounce along with Ringo and Mac, as usual, kind of default boppy bass line. Um, I think it's got one of the most recognisable, or I don't know if it's recognisable guitar solos of theirs in it, but... It's got a very. It's a very satisfying little guitar solo, isn't it? Well, it is, and it's if I mean, there's again, there's a little bit of debate over who who played it exactly, uh, but it's likely to be. It's actually two guitars. It's George and Paul yes, playing doubled, yeah, playing yeah. together, like so ah, they're okay. sort of doubling. I yeah, think some people say it might be Lennon and 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 Harrison, but I, I think it's probably Paul and George together. I mean, it's not virtuosic or complicated, but. It, you know, it's just kind of exactly what you need when you get to that bit in the song and you're thinking, okay, now do the little guitar bit. You know, it's just really satisfying. Um, and like I say, Paul's doing his soul vocal on it. And um, I like the way that the backing vocals obviously kind of keep on coming back with that the night before refrain, finishing off his kind of sentences, that kind of clever way to use the backing vocals where they, like the Beatles do. So uh, in many other places where they're, they answer the, the lead vocalist or they finish the lead vocalist thought, you know. I think what's interesting on this one is that the the backing vocals, the answering vocals, seem mm. to be pushed back in the mix a little bit. So they've got a particular quality to them that makes this song stand out in as as a bit different to some to something like Help itself. Yeah. Um where the backing vocals are a bit more up front really. It's uh, 
yeah, it's got a weird sort of vibe to it, this sort of, sort of mood and vibe that I really like, but it's a bit odd. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't I know mean, what to say because I can't explain what I mean. Well, for me, yeah. I, 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 well, neither can I because I don't know what you mean. <laughs> oh, but um, it's, for me, it, 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 not in a, in a, at all in a bad way. It's very album, help album track territory, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, in a way that you know, my ear appreciates it as it passes by on the way to the next song, but I perhaps don't linger on it too often. It's when I hear it, I think, oh yeah, but you know, it's great. It's um, but I'm going to give it 47 for music because um, yeah, I think I think that's fair enough. Uh, production, I think the organ is the biggest point of difference here. Um, Pianet, 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 yeah. Um, I I couldn't quite make out if it was doubling a guitar part because it's. Well, played so much a, like a guitar, kind of. Yeah, there are there are little moments where you think, was that a guitar in there? Yeah, as well? exactly. Sometimes. Or is it just something sort of harmonics, sort of simulating it because of the, the way a pianet works? Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. There may be little traces of a rhythm guitar part in there, but yeah. I don't know. It's it's funny. You've said exactly what I was thinking without us having conferred before this. You know. That it sometimes sounds like a guitar, it's sometimes an organ, and sometimes both, uh, which makes me think if it just always sounded a bit like a guitar, you go, oh, it's because it's in the same kind of range, it's in the same ear as you normally hear that guitar. It's John playing it, but the fact that it sometimes does, sometimes doesn't, makes it feel like there maybe is a, a, a track on there that it's going over or with, and it's by far the one that's the, the, it's meant to be about the pianet, but maybe in the background someone's also. Hit, chopping away at the guitars too at the at the chords on a guitar too you know i don't know yeah it, it may just be that that on the backing track and there was only two takes of this in the okay. studio it may be that the backing track they built with george just chopping out some chords on electric mm. guitar uh, and that then just ends up in the mix somehow it's yeah it's, it's one where i don't well, think if, the paperwork is conclusive on this from what i can it, see if they only did two it's not unfeasible that the first one they went yeah i need something and then they said well, oh, is it the two takes, or is it like you're saying they, they they would have done the whole song on the second take, or they would have done an overdubs? Yeah, it'd be two two runs through essentially, oh, okay. and they just use the second one as the main track. But mm. yeah, it would have been a basic track, and then the overdubs, which would probably have been the pianet yeah. and the guitars and things. And um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's funny because there is lots. You can also hear lots of odd little noises. It sort of feels like there's voices in there again sometimes, which aren't always like whoops and hollers oh, to yeah. just sort of studio noises i think I, I i was going to make a note about some of them but i didn't in the end um but we said uh, about the um octave solo the solo is doubled and it's on different um octaves isn't it yes um, so it sounds almost like a 12 string but it's yeah. not it's two guitars doing doing yeah. it at the same time someone doing it in the lower register and so yeah um i think the shaker is put to good use always nice for shaker mention well, the maracas on on this. This is the third one in a row with maracas on. That might be the theme for this episode. Just Ringo's maraca phase. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's third one in a row on this. On this episode, Gary. Is it? Oh, I didn't yeah. realise. Maracas, maracas, maracas. <laughs> wherever you look. So it's the maracasode. Maracasode. Yeah, maracasode. Otherwise, though, it's um, pretty tight, standard stuff, would you say? I'm going to say 52 for production. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Lyrics. Um, I quite like how this captures that feeling of not being able to get back a moment with someone and wanting to know what's changed and why. But it's another one when you examine it a bit closer. It does sound rather like he's had a one-night stand where he thought it was going to lead to other things and she didn't. 
Mm. Um, which is kind of fair enough concept for a song and does a job. Um, however, it's more or less the same kind of job as I'm looking through you-ish, but maybe a little shallower. Um, so I have a bit of a marker there um, for score, but is there anything you've got on the lyrics? Of- That's, I mean, I've looked into see if there's anything about this about what it could be about but there's nothing out there which suggests yeah. that to them it's it's another work song i mean they had to get these songs together for the album and also for the film you yeah know? so they had to present a bunch of songs to richard lester who would who would say oh well, i'll take those ones and use them in the film yeah of which this is one of them so it, it, i don't think it's a, a problem that it's a, a work song with those sorts of lyrics because it's still an interesting way of doing it you know it's the night before yeah. is a hook concept hook is all right but yeah, a bit of a work song that they could they could do anyway, you know, drop yeah. of the hat stuff. Yeah, it's fine for that. But um, it's so yeah. Um, I gave um, I'm looking through you forty one, and that has a slightly more lyrical bent. So I'm going to give this one forty for lyrics, which gives it an overall of forty six point three. I tell you what's interesting about this though. Just before we move on, okay. is there there is a version of this. They never played this live in any concerts, um, but there is a live version that they did for the BBC radio sessions. So okay. there is, you, you can find it out there. They, it was like for their last BBC radio session that they did, um, which makes me wonder, because in that you can hear a, a guitar solo that has in octaves, which makes me think that, did they on the BBC recording session, did George play the solo on a 12-string guitar so they could do it live? It would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I, I don't know. But because sometimes they fudged it with those things and they would, they would do a little overdub or cut in a section like they do on that version of Hard Day's Night that's on live at the BBC. Yeah. But yeah, it's. I don't think it's of, in, of any good quality to have been released commercially, like on any of these live at the BBC things. But you can find it out there anyway, so it's it's interesting. Good stuff. Okay, next we have, I'll follow the sun. Someday you'll know I was the one, but tomorrow may rain, so I'll follow the sun. And now the time has come And so my love I must go And though I lose a friend In the end you will I'll follow the sun, Paul. Well, make sure you pack a nice packed lunch and you put some sun cream on and you take lots of rests and drink plenty of water. Okay, will do. Okay. In the meantime, I will say this is from Beatles for Sale. Mm-hmm. It comes out in December 1964. Uh, it's recorded on the 18th of October 1964, and it is a very early Paul McCartney composition All right. that has been tickled up for this album. And we're, well, we're back to um, sort of acoustic Beatles with yeah. percussion. Yes, which is funny because that's basically what I've said. I had to stop myself from just kind of copying and pasting the I Will notes over and just kind of tweaking them for this. No maracas, though, sadly. No, but it's, it's, it's... Our run of maracas has ended. Oh, okay. Well, three in a row is not bad. I don't know what you win. A Ringo. A maraca. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, we're, we are definitely in that Little McCartney musical love song, little catchy acoustic-based album filler, in a good way, kind of territory aren't we yeah um, that he was so capable of he just yeah i wonder if with paul mccartney he got to a point where he used to just go oh god i, I know if i pick up this guitar i'm just going to write another great little acoustic song let me <laughs> see what else i can do today because uh, he just he just keeps can and carries continues to be able to do oh, it, he can he? sneeze these songs yeah 
<laughs> which is just madness, really. Um, although the start of the verse melody doesn't sound very McCartney. On the, the one day you'll look bit, that sounds... Um, it's a little, it's slightly different to his normal. Well, it's a very early one, like yeah, I say. So, yeah. so, you know, he's learning the craft. Yeah, but it, it's... Um, and it, it's funny that it's an early one because it has got some nice, quite mature chord changes in it. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's got some nice guitar work, the guitar doing that nice little picking pattern between... Um, yeah, between uh, the bridges along to the other strummed part. the bass well, what, is... But what do you think of the electric guitar solo? <laughs> the... That's it, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very, um, very brief. Yeah, I think... So Jeff Emmerich has since, you know, the engineer, since sort of said that the guitar solo is embarrassing on this. And to be honest, it was a song they knocked off very quickly, as mm. they would have done with a lot of the stuff in the by '64. And it, I don't think George really had time to come up with something good. Yeah, it's it's okay, but it's very uh, sort of the least he could do, which is a bit of a shame, really. But mm. oh well, yeah. I mean, it, it's quick enough that it's over before you're worried about it not being very interesting. Um, the bass is very subtle, which is right for this, um, uh, and the. Uh, Choice of percussion, whatever it is, is also kind it's of... It's Ringo's knees. Is it? Ringo's knees. Good old Ringo's knees. Yeah. Um, kind of understated. The harmonies are very lovely. The two voices, again, doing a very nice blend. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, it's kind of short and kind of over before you know it. Um, I like the music just as much as I will, I think, and the two are quite close in style. I'm going to give it the same musical score of 64. Right. And Before we move on to production stuff, though, I will say... like. You know, this is a, a very early one I've mentioned. So yeah. apparently he wrote this in Forthlin Road, aged about sixteen, and he's sort of recalled since he wrote it. He'd had a, he'd had the flu, and he was he wrote it after he was doing that. So you could think this could have ended up on any Beatles album right mm. from the start of their career, but it comes out on Beatles for sale. Um, I mean, this is a song that they played as the Quarrymen. Yeah, I don't think they ever performed it live, but there's like the version of it um, recorded in the bathroom that you can find out there and there's also a, like a solo version where you can hear him demonstrating it so the important thing is it's an early lennon mccartney original yeah so when you're a band starting out you want to be saying one of the big selling points was these lads write their own stuff mm. and this would have been one of a handful of these songs that, that, that epstein and they those guys would have said yeah look what we've written yeah but in those days this version of it like the quarrymen version it's more like one day you'll look to see I'm gone. Yeah, that yeah, I'm glad that they wait until it's got this weird sort of countryish countryish swing feel to it. Yeah, I don't think it needs like cha 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 type of. Yeah, this they got the arrangement right for this recording, especially because the. I guess that's what happened with with sometimes like even right up to like you're saying things like um, when I'm 64 that they had these you know it's not necessarily you write the next bunch of songs that go on the next album although they would have done that for 70-80% of it there'll always be a floating pool won't there of ideas that kind of carried over didn't go on the last one weren't right yet hang but on by a second no, you know by the time they're doing this it's 1964 they're, they're touring and playing constantly so they're, mm. they've not got acres and acres and acres of material or time no. 
So that's why you get these things cropping back up again. It's like, well, what have we got? Oh, we'll try. I'll follow the sun. That'll do. That'll fill a gap. Yeah. Well, and, and so it does. Uh, and a nice gap it fills too. So onto production. To try and pull a point of difference from I will out, given that I scored it the same for music, this one has a little production issue for me in that I think the second guitar is sometimes not as bright as it could be in places. And the right. whole mix isn't quite as bright as I will. I think... I, I just think, because I'd listened well, to one, I went to listen to them together, and I thought, it's just slightly not as... It wouldn't be, though. Well, I mean, this is different different equipment in a different yeah. period. Well, exactly. So there you go. Therefore, I have scored it entirely appropriately. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but that's it, really. I, you know, it's not... It's, that's just, just between the two listening to them. Um, although this has the kind of solo with that kind of delay echo it's like it's not a very interesting solo it is only about four notes so i'm giving this one 75 for production still a high production score because i do think it's a nice it's nice it, it, something about these i think it's these ones where paul's able to more or less dictate everything that's going on with it a bit yeah, you know it's it's those little sweet mccartney vocals that yeah. just it's yes. just so effortless you should keep it up you should keep on there. <laughs> so uh lyrics uh another baffler though when it comes to lyrics uh, so sometimes these innocuous ones are kind of the hardest to figure out when you actually stop and try and think about them. <laughs> so it sounds to me like he's moving on from a relationship because it may one day turn bad. So he's just following the sun as a metaphor for, I don't know, being single. Moving on. What will she know in the end? What will she know in the end? Uh, what That he didn't want to get hurt, so he just kind of didn't commit. I don't quite get it. I don't. I just don't quite get it. I, I, it's one of those ones I've read over again and thought, one day she'll look to find, you'll look to find I'm gone, but tomorrow may rain. So tomorrow, so I'll follow this. So I'm going to follow the sun because it may be bad tomorrow, but that's not now. It'd be one day. It's very much one of the is, is puzzlers again. But then it's now the time has come, and so my love, I must go. Yeah. So. But yeah. but then it's it's, yeah. it's romantic-ish sounding. Nonsense. Yeah, it's just like yeah, they they have this way sometimes. I think it's Paul mainly of making these lyrics sound like they should mean something <laughs> around a common phrase or what sounds like a common phrase, but then it doesn't quite lock together. But it works enough that if you're not, I don't know, recording a podcast about it and trying to talk about them, it's fine. <laughs> um, but it gets um, a forty-one for lyric score and sixty overall. So finally, we have drive my car. Drive my car, Paul. Have you put me on the insurance? Uh, no. And also, and I can only drive an automatic. Yeah, and it's got gears. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. So this is the opening track from uh, Rubber Soul, which comes out on the uh, 3rd of December 1965. And I must say, as an o- opening tracks go, I think it's absolutely brilliant mm. that they they put this at the top of the album. There's just something about it that makes it a brilliant album opener. 
Uh, it's recorded on the 13th of October 1965. I mean, again, it's... I what do you say about this one? It's, it's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's just brilliant. And it's a song that obviously sticks with Paul McCartney through the rest of his career. Um, he plays it all the time. And, you know, it's... This is something that he'll drag out. We come out of lockdown, and he'd be in his flipping Zimmer frame doing this on stage. I'm sure. Yeah. But it's it's understandable. It's got such a cool feel to it. It's uh, got the sort of soul Motown feel, which I think is quite a lot to do with George Harrison, who was really into those records. And they all were to some extent, but I think they've sort of pushed for that feel. Okay. Um, I think he was listening to a lot um, Otis Redding at the time, especially Otis Redding's version of Respect. So it's got that sort of really cool thing going on with the guitar and bass doubling each other and stuff. And nice. then this is a pure comedy song again. You know, it's it, it's it's a strange, funny lyric. It's just got so much going for it, this song. And a cowbell. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, it's a belter. I think it's one of those songs as well that many people will know non-Beatles fans alike, you know, without having been a single, just because of its fun energy and quirkiness i don't know if that i think that's right i think a lot of people will know this song who, who i don't, think so yeah who have nothing more than a passing knowledge of the beatles and it's a proper bass and guitar riff song as well isn't it with that great yeah. bass line guitar riff underpinning the verses in a very r&b style like you say and and then the kind of the rock kicks in, in the choruses but still with an r&b kind of feeling piano doing those chord runs you know, in response to the vocals, you know, the da 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 It's really blending R&B and rock very well. Uh, talking of vocals, the double up with Lennon taking the lower part and Paul screaming at the top is great. Um, it really feels like a whole band song, this one. I, you know, I can imagine them all working it up from the kind of... I would imagine the riff would have kind of been the starting point. You know, someone coming up with da 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 and everyone kind of... I really get that feeling from it that it's a... Yeah, well, I, I do hope that there is a lot of it is to do with George sort of saying, you know what, we can make this sound really solely. Let's get this... Yeah. You know, why don't we try doing this guitar and ba- bass together and then working, you know, him and Paul working it out. And then, and the good thing as well, of course, is, although I'm sure we talk about it on lyrics, is they got rid of some crappy, you know, diamond rings, things type r- lyrics and put some interesting lyrics in there oh, okay. instead. Well, so be... it must have felt good once they hit that point of sort of saying, yeah, we've got the right, an interesting concept as well. Yeah. The lead guitar has some nice moments. It's got energy, fun and all that. It's nothing complicated or boundary pushing in many ways, but it's cool still. So I'm going to give it 55 for music. Um, Paul, Paul McCartney on lead guitar, of course. Ah, right. Yeah, it does. That makes sense. Um, it's got his uh, his style all over it, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, production then another good cowbell. Um, maybe I just like cowbells and hate tambourines. It's got uh, tambourines on as well. Although yeah, there is a tambourine in this, and I don't mind it. <laughs> the tambourine is fine. The cowbell again. This is the second episode in a row. Feels to me, to my ears, to be almost in tune with the music. So they've chosen it well. Um, one thing I always do hear with this though. I you have to tell me if I'm going mad. It always sounds like the piano is a little out of tune with the band when it first comes in. Like the tape is running a bit slow or something. Well, I don't know. Um, which piano was it, you know, is the question, because they have different pianos in Abbey Road. Um, right. I think this is probably the 
studio Steinway. But yeah, it might it might seem a little out if they if all the band are tuned to themselves. Yeah, it, it and, might, and they've roughed it out over a couple of takes without properly retuning. Then it might sound like it's out a little it bit out. But now and again, it just it sounds a bit like um, when we used to record onto four track tapes, and sometimes maybe the tape would get a bit damaged or record at a slightly different speed, or the tape was wearing out, and then mm. you'd record back to it, and it'd be just a fraction off, but not enough where you think, is this, is this what what can I do with this? It's, it's a time, but then not all the way through. So I don't know if it's well, My I mean, the piano's ears. not in it all the way through, though. It's it's yeah. Well, that's the I think it comes bits. in. Yeah, when it comes in, you think oh, and then your ear adjusts to it because it's like less than a semitone. Maybe I've just got absolutely perfect pitch hearing, or maybe yeah. I'm just m- I'm mad. Um, so, also though, do you want to point out some studio noises two thirds of the way through? Well, there's all sorts, isn't there? There's well. We've got the main thing on this production-wise that's interesting is that you've got this ghost guitar solo. Yes, that's the one I was going to do, a kind of aborted guitar take or something. Yeah, so you can sort of hear the particularly at the end of the guitar solo, you can hear an, another guitar doing something slightly different. Yeah, and that's, so okay, that's 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 bleed over from them doing some overdubbing before they decided yeah, not to use that. And, and and there's and there's sort of like a ghost sort of interjection in that last verse as well that sounds like it shouldn't really be there, but is. A bit of whooping goes on in this one as well. Yeah. And there must have been an overdub of John's vocal. So at, each, at the end of each chorus, if you're listening on the stereo mix, suddenly John's voice for the last line of the chorus is over in the other speaker. Oh. It sort of moves across. Notice that. So that suggests that it was an mm. overdub and they've done yeah. something with it. I don't know why why it would suddenly just move across the way and come back. Maybe but John just ran across the studio for no reason to another microphone. That's, That's how, how it works, isn't it? work, is it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to give it 51 for production. Lyrics then. So, why don't you tell me about what the original lyrics were then? Because I didn't know about this. Well, I mean, it's it's there's not much to say other than they sort of said, well, they, they struggled with getting this going because it was another one. It was, I'll give you a diamond ring. I'll do anything type mm. love song. The, the, like, you know, we talk about work songs. Yeah. Even by their standards, sometimes they could. They, they, yeah, they like, their filler, just... sort of filler lyrics that they could do in the sleep, would still be all diamond rings, anything, and so somehow they end up with this drive my car concept. Yeah, and that's it. So that's instead of I can buy you how... diamond rings, it's yeah. baby, you can drive my car, and that gives them the opportunity to do the beep beep, yes, <laughs> beep beep beep, vocals <laughs> and. It just turns into this insane role reversal sort of song of a, a, a sort of powerful woman telling someone to do something. It's a comedy song, out and out. Yeah, it's got and, a punchline. Yeah. yeah, and it's there's a quote from, I think it's Paul in Oc- October 1965's uh, NME, October 22nd, 1965. He says, we've written some funny songs, songs with jokes in. We think that comedy numbers are the next thing after protest songs. <laughs> so... We know that they were humorous people and it would yeah. have given them no end of pleasure to have sort of come up with this concept and it to sort of have this great sort of veiled sex references sort of thing going yeah. on. Yes, it's 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 a good, good, you know, so the story goes, the girl tells him that he can drive a car when she's famous and that would be better than anything he could ever achieve in his life. And so he says, okay then. And she says, well, I don't have a car, but at least I've got a driver. Ba-boom, you know. Oi, oi. And then, you know, 
uh, it's funnier when it's part of a three-minute song to get to that than it is me saying it. But, you know, the main thing is that it gives him an opportunity to sing the immortal words, beep, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Which has got to get bonus points, hasn't it, you know, to, to, to be able to sing beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. In harmony, no less. Yeah. It's loads of fun. We used to do this one, didn't we? We did used to do it in the covers band, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I think I just played the piano in that one, which meant but, I did, didn't do anything in the verses, and then I played the piano. The, the, um, the beep beeps only come in at the end. You're kind of waiting for them, aren't you? Always waiting for the beep beeps. Beep beeps. Um, yeah, probably the only vehicle-based backing vocals I can think of. Definitely by the Beatles. Um, anyway, it, gets, it is getting bonus points. Vehicle it's gonna, based backing vocals. Beetle based, vehicle based beeping. Yeah, it's going to get 60 for lyrics. So that's 55.3 overall. And there we have it. Out of 140 songs so far, this is where the ones we have spoken about today have landed. Uh, the Night Before at 105. Drive My Car at 78. I'll Follow the Sun at 69. Dr. Robert at 66, and I will at 63. So a, a kind of a middle third part of the table kind of episode. Right. If you if you will. So I'll do as a quick... I will. Uh, ah, ha, ha, ha. I'll do as a quick, uh, a quick chart then. I may as well do as the top 20. At joint 20th, hello, goodbye, and good morning, good morning. At number 19, when I'm 64... At 18, Fixing a Hole. At number 17, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. At 16, Because. At 15, You Never Give Me Your Money. Long, long, long. At number 14, Getting Better. At number 13, Sexy Sadie. At number 12, Lovely Rita. At number 11, Nowhere Man. At number 10, Blackbird. At number 9, Yesterday is number 8. At number 7, The Fool on the Hill. Cry Baby Cry is number 6. Lady Madonna is number 5. Let It Be is number 4. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds at number three. I am the Warus at number two. And Strawberry Fields Forever at number one. So, that's it for this week. And thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Tambourine, man. Maracas. Oh, they're maracas? Well, no, they're shaker eggs, but I thought they might oh. sound a bit like maracas. Okay. And stop.